Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, your leading source of info for insights and best practices in digital health and digital transformation. Join host Patty Padmanabhan, CEO of Demo Consulting and co-author of Healthcare Digital Transformation, How Technology, Consumerism, and Pandemic are Accelerating the Future, in conversation with leading practitioners of healthcare and technology. Hello again, and welcome back to this episode of the Big Unlock Podcast. I am Patty, your host, and my special guest today is Susan Collins, head of healthcare for Twilio. Twilio is a leader in the messaging and communication space, and Susan talks about how they are making a difference in the healthcare space through their platform and the new products that they are launching. We talk about a wide range of topics from how messaging tools can be used to serve underserved populations as well as how to drive innovation in healthcare. Let's jump right in. And before we start the conversation, a quick shout out to our generous sponsors and partners, Be Well. I am here with Susan Collins, Head of Healthcare for Twilio. Susan, thank you so much for setting aside the time and welcome to the show. That's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. So why don't we jump in? Tell us a little bit about Twilio, the company, and also about your role and your background and how you got into this role. Sure. Twilio is a really specialist in communications and engagement. So historically, we have been way up high and to the right in, you know, in all the magic quadrants and so on for communications as a service. So a cloud platform that enables our customers typically to focus on where they bring value and let, let us handle the communications plumbing, if you like. More recently, uh, we have made big investments in CDP technology. So that's a customer data platform. And the idea is really that we would not just have communications channels, but make that communication and engagement an intelligent type of exercise where you really deeply understand somebody as an individual and personalize those communications in a way that is meaningful to that particular person. And to be able to do that at scale in an economical fashion. I'd like to stay on that for a minute. Uh, the CDP yeah. is interesting. I'm just curious to learn. Of course, there are other platforms out there that have similar offerings for kind of a unified view of the consumer customer, if you will. What was the specific need that uh, or gap that you saw in the market that led Twilio to get into this? And maybe you can talk to that in the specific context of healthcare, which is what we are here to talk about. Sure. So, you know, I would maybe argue that there are different components of the equation when you talk about engagement. You always have data. So you have the companies that are essentially repositories of data. You think about medical record systems in our space. You think about CRM, you know, almost ubiquitous now, right across many different industries. And that is certainly a critical component but being able to understand first-party data in a practical way and apply that specifically to communications around healthcare issues to me is kind of the next frontier, if you like. When we think about the strides that we've made, particularly during COVID, and you could argue that that was of necessity because we couldn't see patients necessarily in person as we had historically done you almost get to a really interesting place where we have digitally enabled the relationship that we used to have way back in the day when the doc came to your home and they knew your family 
and they knew, you know, kind of your history and they might've brought you into the world and they might take you out of the world, you know, at, at the end of the game. And I think the notion of really understanding where people are in a more dynamic way is really interesting for healthcare. So you, you think about any of the chronic conditions that plague so many of us, and you think about the way we really kind of snap a chalk line in a way and say, oh, this is, you know, this is Susan Collins, and maybe she's a compliant diabetic or maybe pre-diabetic person. And you put Susan Collins in a little bit of a box and maybe you enroll me in, in some sort of program and maybe there's even some, some care navigation and that kind of thing. And then unbeknownst to you, three months later or six months later or a year later, or, you know, pick a time frame, something else happens in my life that you have no visibility into. Maybe my spouse is diagnosed with something serious. Maybe they get COVID. Maybe they get Alzheimer's. And all of a sudden, even though you don't know it yet, I have become a rising risk patient because all of a sudden that spouse's issue is taking up all the oxygen in the room and I am not focused on my own health the way I used to be. And, you know, under sort of our current approach, that'd be really, really difficult for our health system to have visibility into. And technologies like CDP that use first party data that understand what your activity is today, as opposed to a questionnaire or survey you might've filled out a year ago, uh, can really give you a lot of insight into the nature of that person's reality. And that can change from day to day. And I think that's a really powerful concept. They're only just beginning to scratch the surface of. And I think that is very well put. And I would agree completely with the statement that we are still in the early stages. Uh, we're just scratching the surface. We are far from the, uh, the vision, the end goal of personalized care, yeah. much further away than uh, we would like to be. But I think the true hope is in, uh, in technologies such as the one that you just described to be able to do something about it and uh, improve lives and outcomes. So let's turn back to the core platforms and the products for Twilio, Susan. For the benefit of our listeners, give us, a, give us an example, maybe a use case or a client case study from your work that helps our audience understand what your product does. Yeah. So, you know, we think of the product as a communications platform, as I, as I mentioned, and that can look different in different environments. And I think one of the nice things about taking a platform approach to solving communications and engagement challenges in healthcare is that you don't actually need to be able to look around a corner and know what's coming, right? If we think back to time that was, it seems like a really long time ago, but only you know a little over two years ago before COVID, we certainly had appointment reminder solutions, and we had you know the automated phone services that you know would call you and say you know don't forget to pick up your prescription and, and, and things of that nature. Candidly, somewhat generic in nature. Maybe some EHR would fire off a little notification and would send you an email about your appointment with Dr. Smith on Wednesday at 10 or something. I think now we have had so much more experience in standing these systems up in a more meaningful way to create dialogue with patients, between patients and, and their providers, certainly of necessity through COVID, where you know there were basic things you couldn't do and maybe I'm going to send you a text message before that appointment that says, hey, when you get here, Patty, don't come in. Stay in your car. Text arrived to this number. We'll let you know exactly where to go. You know, don't come into the lobby. Don't hang out in the waiting room. We're going to put you right in a treatment room. So it's a very basic use case now used by hundreds and hundreds of health systems. 
certainly all of the communications around vaccine availability, handling education around vaccines, right? We've come such a long way and maybe I guess better late than never, we're starting to address some of the disparities in access and in understanding and frankly in trust in our in our health infrastructure where you could give people trusted sources of information about issues that were of concern to them. So for example, we work a lot with Penn Medicine and their nudge unit. And they've done some, some absolutely tremendous work in this space. And they found through a, a mega trial that they ran just before COVID actually around flu vaccinations, that changing a single word in a text message, if I say to you, a vaccine is reserved for you or waiting for you, as opposed to a vaccine is available for you, you change the uptake of that vaccine by 11%, which is really a staggering number of people when you start multiplying that across large populations. And so we've gotten very sophisticated now, I think around those kinds of use cases where you really deeply understand the audience you want to engage with. We've learned a lot about what the content needs to be as well as the delivery channel and how to accommodate people's preferences and how to reach people who are in communities that are historically underserved or have limited access to healthcare. And, and to me, that's it's so heartening after all these years in this industry to see us making progress in that way. So you think about the work that Same Sky Health is doing, for example, with a partnership to end addiction. They have made tremendous strides communicating with the patients that they serve in an effective way to reach people where they are. Yeah, and I have been through that exact experience that you described. I'm going to a clinician, I'm going to a clinic, getting a text message and asking me to wait in the parking lot and then telling me when the doctor is ready for my appointment. So Twilio is the engine that powers those communications that are coming to me from my provider. Let me ask you this. By the way, Penn Medicine, you mentioned, they are doing some fantastic work. Mike Restuccia, their CIO, has been on my podcast and uh, a tremendous work that they're doing out there. So kudos on, on being uh, their partners. Uh, let me ask you this. You're doing different things as a company. You're a communications platform. By the way, I love the way you brought in the intersection of technology and behavioral economics, you know, the nudge uh, principles. And we, we all know that it matters using the right word at the right time can either engage people or turn them off, as the case may Absolutely. be. So, uh, yeah, right. so uh, great that you pointed that out. So in your space, who do you consider your competitors? You know, when I look around at the landscape, do you consider other messaging providers? What kind of competitive space do you think you would like to put yourself in? Yeah, no, I think there are a lot of innumerable point solutions out there. And, and that's been the approach that maybe traditionally healthcare has leaned into. There's, you know, a text message solution for appointment reminders and, and these kinds of things. We think of ourselves much more holistically as a platform and now with the addition of, of segment, an intelligent engine powering a platform that has a lot of omnichannel communication capability at the risk of sounding a little bit arrogant. I don't know that there are other true platform communications solutions that are cloud-based that we would consider competitors. Sometimes it uh, comes down to a little bit more of the customer use case and how broadly they think about communications, is that a kind of a strategic thing that, that they're thinking about across the health system as an example, or across a, you know, maybe a payer environment, or are they just trying to solve for prescription reminders? 
Let's take a quick break and I'd like to acknowledge our partners and sponsors Be Well. And if you like this podcast, rate us on whatever favorite podcast platform you're listening on. And if you're interested in listening to the archives, visit us at thebigunlock.com. With that, back to the conversation. You mentioned that there's innumerable point solutions out there, and that is a fact. And in fact, in our work with our clients, so one of the, it is one of the big challenges for them because they're trying hard. We're talking about healthcare CIOs and chief digital officers. They're trying to figure out how to parse through this landscape of point solutions and really kind of bring it all down to a manageable strategic set of partnerships. And, you know, Twilio works with... Uh, directly with end clients like Penn Medicine that you mentioned, but you also work with a lot of technology firms that embed your tool or solution within their own platforms. So when you look at this landscape, how does this look to you from a competitive standpoint? Let me take a very specific example. A large enterprise class platform vendors, you know, let's say the EHR platforms, they're also building native capabilities, which are competing with a lot of point solutions. I don't know if they are with you or not, but they certainly are competing with a lot of point solutions. So healthcare organizations are having to make a choice. You know, do they stay, you know, do they go with an EHR first or do they go with best in class? How do you help your clients sort through those questions? Sure. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think we have solutions that work well for the health tech community. So for example, Epic, big EHR vendor, obviously kind of 800 pound gorilla in the space. They leverage our programmable video product to create the embedded telehealth experience within Epic's product. And that was very, very widely adopted uh, during COVID for obvious reasons. And we likewise power kind of every other name brand that you've heard of in telehealth over a billion minutes a month. You know, that's sort of the Intel inside, if you like. And for, for organizations that want an out of the box solution who may not have the development resources or the bandwidth, to stand those solutions up in the way that they prefer. Those are wonderful options and we're very proud to support them. And then you have other organizations that feel that they do not want to delegate the patient experience to someone else's roadmap. And so they feel that often it may be a differentiator. The kind of bespoke patient experience that they want to create is something that they feel strongly about owning the roadmap for. And in those cases, they can likewise leverage our technology to build a very unique experience for their patients and, and even for their providers as well. Sometimes there are workflow considerations and that kind of thing. And it's a mistake to kind of leave that to an afterthought. Uh, you really want to build something that's efficient, particularly today when provider, providers are so challenged, so burned out, they've worked so hard for so long looking for ways to make it easier and more efficient for them is, is a meaningful exercise in lots of different organizations. And I think you can kind of have your cake and eat it too in that respect. Many organizations say, well, we're going to start with an out-of-the-box solution. A well health would be a great example of that powered by Twilio. Highly configurable, but it does work out of the box. And then sometimes, you know, they, they get a little bit of experience with that platform and, and they decide they want to take it to another level. And they might they might then build something of their own on Twilio directly. And that's fine, too. Yeah, I think that's a, that point is well made. There'll always be room for a best in class solution that creates a unique differentiated experience for your organization that creates a competitive differentiator yeah. in the marketplace. And that's kind of a, 
uh, point that you're making. Let's talk about the patients, and especially in the last couple of years, you know, in the immediate wake of the pandemic, everything was virtual. So I imagine that uh, just like with telehealth volumes and virtual visit volumes, your own you know, messaging volumes went through the roof. Off late, there's been a pullback. We are seeing telehealth volumes kind of level off a little bit as patients start coming back to the clinic. We are, we are approaching some kind of a hybrid equilibrium. We don't know whether we have landed there yet or not. What are you seeing in your own volumes and what does it tell you about how patient preferences or even provider preferences are changing? I think some providers were quite surprised, to be honest. We've thrown so much technology at providers over even the last decade, right? Meaningful use and the implementation of, of all the EHRs at, at scale was a big lift for those organizations. And you can argue on, on one hand for standardization and best practice, and you can argue on the other hand that there's an art to practicing medicine as well. And sometimes that technology can feel to the providers like it's dictating a particular approach. And that was that was difficult, I think, for many organizations to navigate. And so there was some technology fatigue, I think. And so then along comes COVID and the huge burden that that presented. And we said, yeah, and the solution is going to be more technology. And I, you know, I've talked to so many physicians who who are friends and, and who just went, Susan, I just, I can't. Just more technology, really, like my head is going to explode. Who then came back pleasantly surprised to say, turns out seeing my patient in the context of their home environment, maybe sitting in their living room, maybe with a spouse who hasn't previously joined an appointment or an adult child who can dial in to a virtual visit, something like that, has added a, you know, a dimension to that experience that was not possible in you know, our traditional model where I would just get in my car and drive to the clinic and, and have my appointment by myself. And I think we've now had enough experience that we're not treating digital as kind of a, just a poor replacement for an in-person encounter. There will always be a need for face-to-face encounters in, in healthcare, but there are so many times when the convenience and the access that digital provides has added to the experience. We can certainly, we can bring other resources to the conversation. We can share documents. We can share visuals. We can now change the waiting room experience even to be engaging. And you see some really very innovative solutions being developed. Sometimes they're just around the administrative friction in healthcare, which we know can be substantial. An easy way to pay your copay in a cashless environment. It happens everywhere else in every other industry that you can can think of. And now we've brought that kind of ease and simplification, if you like, to healthcare as well. So I, I think it's a very interesting time. I don't think we're finished evolving in that way yet. And I think we are going to settle into a pretty significant amount of our interactions being digital. It'll be interesting to see what happens with reimbursement and with workflow design and those kinds of things. But I think we're not going to go back to a time when even a simple question or, you know, my kid's skin and knee or has a rash or something that can be handled easily over video will go away. Although I think it's also fair to say at the same time, we're far from an optimal experience when it comes to these digital engagement modalities, uh, especially telehealth. You mentioned wait times. I did my first ever video visit last year and mm-hmm. I was on hold for 10 minutes waiting mm-hmm. for my physician to show up. Other industries at least tell you that you've got a 10 minute wait. 
There was nothing like that. So we have a long way to go, I think, in terms of optimizing the experiences. And you're right in saying that too much technology has been thrown at uh, caregivers and and uh, clinicians in the last couple of years. And now it's, it's incumbent on them to try and figure out how to make it all work together and create that seamless experience, not just for patients, but also for themselves. I want to switch to one other topic I mentioned early on about underserved populations. I'm very curious to learn how all of this new technologies is really serving underserved populations. There's a lot of conflict in research on this. Some of it is, quite frankly, a little concerning that all these new technologies are not really serving those that it's meant to serve, namely low-income, underserved populations, and so on. So your broad comments on that, and specifically in terms of what you're seeing through the usage of your own tools and platforms. Yeah, I mean, definitely a huge problem to wrestle to the ground and one that's so important. And it's honestly a bit of a passion of mine to to work on that problem with others who are, who are interested and invested in the space. I do think we've started to think a bit more out of the box, which is great. Again, not treating digital as just kind of this poor substitute for face-to-face. And I'll give you an example. We were talking about that nudge unit from Penn Medicine a minute ago. There is a great study on their website that they ran around handling hypertension, preeclampsia in pregnant women. And, And as you probably know, this very disproportionately affects women of color. And it can be an extremely serious problem and happens in the context often of a busy young mom. She might have other kids. She's got jobs. She can't get time off from work. And she feels okay. She feels fine. So getting her to come into the OBGYN's office to get that blood pressure monitored can be a real challenge. The rates of uh, compliance with those programs uh, can be quite low. And you have all of the usual impediments to transportation, time off, childcare, all these things. And it turns out that you can send these moms home with a very inexpensive blood pressure cuff, 20 bucks at your you know, local Rite Aid or, or what have you. And you can send a text message that says, hey mom, you get, us, get us a reading. It's a simple thing. It's not particularly intrusive. It doesn't really interrupt the course of her other activities during the day. And the compliance is sky high. The patient satisfaction is off the charts. It's extremely cost-effective. A text message is a fraction of a penny. I think solutions like that, where we think a little bit about solving the problem in a way that's very patient-centric, and still gets us the information and the insight we need to serve that patient well, really provides a lot of hope for the future. I think we're just, again, scratching the surface in these kinds of programs. But I think that kind of a program is an example of how you can really leverage technology in an effective way to serve folks who are historically maybe underserved or lack access to healthcare resources. Yeah, especially if these are uh, light uh, in the consumption of bandwidth, data, and so on, which uh, tend to be uh, very high financial burdens for some of these underserved populations. So I think that's a, that's a good point. We're almost at the end of our time here, Susan. I want to ask you one very broad question about the overall digital health startup environment. Now, you're no longer a startup. You were at one point. You're a successful <laughs> company. You're public. You know, you have billions of dollars in revenue. But there's a vast ecosystem of startups that are just as innovative as you are, but they're just very early on in their journeys. And uh, a lot of them are relying on VC money to pull through. 
The VC environment has changed a little bit in the last few months. And this arguably way more startups than you know, health systems know what to do with. And we talked about a couple of those things, you know, the need for parsing through this landscape of innumerable point solutions, as you mentioned. So what do you make of this current uh, environment and what should a startup founder in an innovative startup think Twilio 10 years ago, what should they be thinking about now? Yeah, there's so much incredible innovation going on. It's kind of hard to keep track of it all, actually. We do our best and we have programs actually at Twilio. We have a venture program and an incubator and those kinds of things. So we sometimes have a little bit of a front row seat to some of these startups that maybe one of the best parts of my job, actually seeing how people are thinking about change and improvement. I think focusing on real problems, I I have a very practical bent. So the theoretical is sometimes a little bit lost on me. I think when you can show, even in, in maybe a limited way based on resources, an ability to impact other humans' experience of care, you generally have a pretty receptive audience in the venture world. And certainly there has been incredible growth in digital health investment. And we'll probably see a little bit of a pullback given the current economic realities, but I don't think digital health is going away anytime soon. I don't think the funding for digital health is going away anytime soon. And we're talking about 20% of our economy. It's a massive market. And it's, it's one that everyone can relate to. All of us have had healthcare and we're going to continue to need healthcare. So it's kind of a simple thing to explain. But I think when we talk to founders where we see sometimes a bit of a gap is that practical application proof points, a real good grasp of an MVP from a solution perspective and the ability to articulate that in a clear and concise way is, is always compelling. I'm not trying to take on the entire world at the outset, maybe would be my advice to have a very straightforward path to where you want to get to and wherever you are on that path is where you are. And I think that's okay. You eat the elephant one bite at a time, right? That's it's kind of how yeah. I think about it, I guess. And just being really practical about it. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, Susan, uh, I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there for today, but it's been a fascinating conversation. And uh, once again, thank you so much for uh, coming on our podcast and sharing your thoughts and views. All the very best to you and your team. Oh, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Once again, I'd like to thank our partners, BeWell, for their sponsorship and their support. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We invite you to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Healthcare Digital Transformation Leader. Write to us at info at with your feedback and questions.